0: Welcome to Wild and Weird Radio, a wild and weird West Virginia podcast. Tonight, your hosts have an extra special guest in Miss Leah Fisher, author and cryptozoologist, globally recognized. Yes, you heard that here first. Globally recognized cryptozoologist, Leah Fisher, on our show. Stay tuned, guys. It's about to get wild and weird.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> we are glad to have you. Well, yeah, uh huh? you know, we definitely weren't trying to, um, you know, bill you incorrectly. So we're we're going to make sure that the world knows Leah Fisher is here, and Wait, uh, you've got you're some just phenomenal assuming
2: books. that the world is actually listening.
0: Oh, okay, we're
3: listening
2: so. There's that.
3: They're
0: always listening,
2: are they? She's a witch, folks. She's a witch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wayne, don't make us mute you already.
0: <laughs> Once again, that would not be the first time. <laughs> we we tested earlier. She floated. So, um... <laughs> how do you know she's a witch? She looks like one. No, just <laughs> she's a lovely. How are lady. you guys doing?
2: Oh, us? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm 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 off script now. I don't know what's going on. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good here. How are you? Is there, everyone good?
0: Yeah, I'm good. We, it's been a good week. Um, <laughs> we've uh, good week. Yeah. We, we've had some weird stuff going on, um, actually, out in the forest, so that, that's been interesting. Uh, I'll give you some updates on that later as we kind of see how that develops. Well, um, as we've already said, we have Leah Fisher here. She is a phenomenal author, and she does um, – A lot of work with uh basically cryptozoology 101 and with an emphasis on bringing kids into the fold and getting them interested in in the field that we all love and uh i'm gonna go ahead and let you introduce yourself from here leo
1: Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, My name is Leah Fisher, and I am the author of two books, uh, The Cryptid Catcher and The Cryptid Keeper, and these are humorous adventure novels about the world of cryptozoology for about 8 to 13-year-olds, or as I tell the kids, cryptozoology is about the search for cryptids, which are legendary animals that might be real. And I travel around to schools, libraries, and Bigfoot festivals, and I talk to kids about the importance, the joy, the fun, and the possibility of finding legendary animals.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, that is just too cool. Uh, You may may be my
3: new favorite person.
0: Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, we, we do a little bit of that ourselves. Um, we, we don't necessarily have an emphasis on kids, but we do bring in ages from six to, you know, 600 are are all welcome. And, uh, we put on workshops and things like that where people can kind of get their interest fueled and maybe get involved in going out into the field, doing research. Um, so I know that you were just recently at, uh, at two, really successful Bigfoot conventions. How did those go for you?
1: They were wonderful. I was at the first annual Medellin Falls Bigfoot Festival in Washington. And Medellin Falls is about a town of like 300 people, I believe, and 3,000 people showed up over the course (sighs) of the two-day festival. And they just had such amazing uh, Bigfoot presenters there. Bob Gimlin was there. Um, Adam Davies was there. Just so many wonderful field researchers were there sharing their their most uh, recent research. And so it was really this fantastic first time ever festival that brought in the big hitters of the Bigfooting world and brought in thousands of people. And so that was just fantastic. And then the next weekend, I flew out to the Virginia Bigfoot Festival which was just wonderful. Uh, Again, wonderful researchers, great presentations. And the thing that was interesting is that in Virginia, there was also a lot more paranormal researchers. There were a lot of ghost hunters and ghost researchers. And so that was a really fascinating addition uh, to the Bigfoot conference is that I got to learn uh, not just about Bigfoot, but also about uh paranormal research which was really fun to talk about
3: well you haven't been to first of all we know none of the names that you mentioned um second <laughs> <of> all,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're actually friends and we've interviewed a lot of the folks that are at the conventions so yeah <laughs> second
3: second of all you haven't been to the best con yet because well that conference is going to be in november so you haven't been yeah. to the best. she's not
0: a yet. time traveler it, and it's it's already it's already booked too. That's the bad part, you know. So you're you're just gonna have to miss out. But I heard there might be an official invite looming here in the next twenty or thirty minutes.
1: <laughs> now, which is the one in November?
0: That is wild and weird
1: con. Oh yes. Yeah.
0: That is that is our event that we host here in West Virginia, and it is uh, it's gonna be a blast. Um, we've got a few of the folks that you were actually out with in Virginia. Who are going to be there with us, uh, and then a, a few other folks that are coming in, and we're going to be there doing some stuff and having workshops all day. So it's just going to be a good time.
1: That sounds but, wonderful.
0: You know, we're already planning for next year. Just saying.
1: Well, my calendar is open.
0: <laughs> well, you can you can come out and you can have a spot at
3: the end of my table.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll give you like one of the, a section at you know one of exactly. the tables.
3: Yeah, because my stuff doesn't sell, so you might as well use my table.
0: <laughs> I knew where he was going.
3: Thanks, Wayne. You're welcome, <laughs> anytime. That's what friends are for.
0: But, uh, but yeah, we, we actually would love to have you out at Wild and Weird Con in the future, so uh, we'll definitely be throwing some dates at you soon.
1: Fantastic. Um, and some cons and uh, some
3: academia.
0: too. So, uh, now... I know that you uh, you do put an emphasis with with children and the kind of cryptozoology one hundred and one. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the presentation that I give is really you know like you've been saying cryptozoology one for one uh, one hundred and one the basics of what cryptozoology is, and but it's also fascinating to hear about as adults because while we may know about cryptids and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, there's so much richness to the world that people may not realize. And I like to break down uh, my presentation kind of into three parts. And the first part that I talk about is extinction. And basically about how many animals, plants, insects, how many species are going extinct every day, but how cryptids aren't just animals that we haven't discovered but they are species that have been deemed extinct, but are actually still around. And so cryptid in Latin means hidden animal. So a hidden animal can be an extinct animal that's hiding. (laughs) We just haven't rediscovered it. And so recently we are, we have just rediscovered so many amazing extinct animals, such as the clouded leopard, in southeast asia was just rediscovered and you know for an animal to be determined extinct it means that it hasn't been seen for at least 30 years and so for the clouded leopard to be in hiding for that long where people you know it's not a small creature so how can a creature like that be in hiding for that many years and then suddenly it just reappears so it begs the question Where are they hiding? How are they hiding? And then same with this uh, other cute creature called the Cuban solenodon, which looks like this small, really sweet furry animal, um, but you have to watch out for it because it's one of the few mammals that are venomous. And this was just recently rediscovered. So I like telling kids if we can rediscover the clouded leopard and the Cuban solenodon then maybe we can rediscover the megalodon that's been extinct for two and a half million years. (laughs) But maybe the largest shark that's ever existed on Earth is somehow hiding the way that the clouded leopard has been in hiding for over 30 years.
0: All Uh, I'm saying is the Marianas Trench is really freaking deep. It's deep. So
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another... Uh, portion that I talk about is the idea of mystery about how there is so much on this planet that we haven't discovered and that we don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. I find it really exciting to teach kids that, you know, in this day and age when they can just Google the answer to something or just ask Alexa the answer to something, how there are things that you can Google that we don't know the answer to. And that includes so much of life on earth that we haven't discovered. And there are some scientists who believe that we have only discovered 1.5% of life on earth. And so that means that we don't have to go to Mars to find new things. We can just walk right into the forest and find new species, perhaps like Bigfoot.
2: 100%, yeah, I agree.
1: And, you know, talking about the Mariana Trench, one question that I ask the kids, and I'll ask you, is, have we had more people go to the bottom of the ocean in the Mariana Trench, or have we had more people walk on the surface of the moon?
0: More people on the moon. Definitely. Definitely.
1: Yeah. And actually that used to be the answer, but now it's equal. It, it The last oh, time oh, I checked. Oh, we've balanced out
0: now. We've reached we've, an equilibrium there. We've
1: balanced oh. out. Last I checked, we've had 12 Apollo astronauts on the moon and now 12 people have ah. gone to the bottom of the Mariana oh, trench. Wow. So but it's neat to think that we have 80% of the ocean is unmapped and unexplored. And there's still so much of land that we haven't investigated and researched and explored. Um, You know, when so many people say, why haven't we found Bigfoot's body? I like to tell them that in the Pacific Northwest, it is the largest temperate rainforest region in the world. And it's 150 million acres. And so much of that has not been explored. And so it's a great place for Bigfoot to hide.
2: Oh, yeah. That's, so, that's one of the greatest arguments, isn't it? Where's the body? I mean, it, it's, it's laughable, really, to think that you could find something like that in that much uh, biomass.
1: Right. And I live in Colorado, and I've lived here like 35 years, and there's 7,000 mountain lions in Colorado. Oh, yeah. I've never seen one. And I hike all the time. I've never seen a mountain lion's body.
2: Yep. But and they've seen you. <laughs> I'm sure they
1: have. I'm sure they have.
2: <laughs> that's a very good point, Wayne. That, that is possibly actually a,
1: Bigfoot, too.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point. Exactly, exactly. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't see us.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that's probably why I haven't seen a mountain lion is because it sees me first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, thankfully... See, we, um,
0: they they call, where we're located, we're we're in the Appalachian mountain range and uh, where we're located, we also have one of those temperate rainforests. And we're, um, the majority of West Virginia is actually forested, very densely forested. Um, we actually just went up in percentage, to, I think 83% forested. Mm. And much of West Virginia, uh, aside from when it was being timbered and things of that nature, once the forest re- grew, there is much of West Virginia that has not had human feet on it for, in some cases, probably two to three hundred years.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: So we we can relate very much to, to what they experience out there in the P&W with uh, especially the rate of decay that takes place in those forests. Because if a body hits the forest floor, it's only maybe 20 days before it's completely gone?
1: Absolutely. And I, I, you know, many people say, well, why haven't we found any of Bigfoot's bones? And again, I live in Colorado, I hike all the time. I see bones f- frequently while I'm hiking, but I never think, oh, let me pick this bone up and get it DNA tested in case it's Bigfoot's. And and I've certainly never come across an entire skeleton of an animal ever when I'm in the wilderness because it is scavenged so quickly. So um, so that's another thing I like to bring up to kids is that you know all these questions of why haven't we found this why haven't we found that there's always some kind of realistic scientific explanation of. Of why we haven't found all these things.
0: So, uh, being you know, I know you have a very interesting job, as well as what you do with uh, your your books and going and doing speaking engagements. Would you like to tell everybody where you work?
1: Yes, I work at the Sasquatch Outpost in Bailey, Colorado, and it is Colorado's Bigfoot Museum. And it is a fabulous gift shop as well as museum that has a lot of um, history and evidence collecting and information about Bigfoot, as well as a fantastic brand new animatronic Bigfoot and Bigfoot baby.
3: Nice. So, what got you? What got you into this? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. So. Um, I knew nothing about cryptids up until about 15 years ago. And I was, I had started writing books. I was not yet a published author. And I was trying to think of some new story that I could write. And I happened to read an article about Charlie Sheen, the actor. Um, back when he was in his heyday, as I like to Before say. He crazy. <laughs> yeah, or while <laughs> he was going crazy. And he put together a hunting party to go to Alaska to find the otter man. And this was an article in the paper. And I thought, who is the otter man and what does Charlie Sheen want with him? And so I started <laughs> researching the otter man and they were like, yeah, the Otter Man is a cryptid. And I thought, a cryptid? I have no idea what that is. And so I started researching cryptids and cryptozoology. And when I was a kid, I was really into myths and mythozoology, um, or mythology, not mythozoology. And I thought, wow, cryptids are kind of the modern day myths. But I've never heard of them, and I haven't read a lot about them, and I bet kids would love to read about this. And so once I started researching Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and all the different organizations dedicated to this field, I thought, this is a thing. Like, this is a thing. And so I just went down the rabbit hole of researching cryptids and cryptozoology and then just started writing my books, thinking that this would make a great adventure novel for kids.
0: So um, a little bit about your books. If you want to introduce some of those and the concepts behind your books, and we will also insert uh, links to where folks can get these books in the description of the episode.
1: Fabulous. Yeah, so the first book is The Cryptid Catcher, And it basically is about a 13-year-old boy who thinks his father is an archaeologist who travels the world. But really, his father is a cryptid catcher uh, who goes out into the world trying to find the one special cryptid that can make you immortal if you find it. And, of course, the bad guys are searching for the immortal cryptid. So the main character's father is trying to find the immortal cryptid and protect it from the bad guys. Um, Unfortunately, the father dies very mysteriously. This is in the first chapter, so I'm not giving too much away. (laughs) And the boy discovers that his father had been training him to take over as the next world's greatest cryptid catcher. But he has no idea how to go about finding animals that should not exist. So he gets together a team of kids uh, and they figure out how to travel the world and find these legendary animals that nobody has discovered. Awesome. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: then the second book is The Cryptid Keeper. And it is just the further adventures of the main character named Clive O'Ren and his group of researchers who are known as the Myth Blasters.
0: And Yeah, these... These books are fantastic. Um, So my wife is an English teacher, for everybody who's listening, and these books are 100% English teacher approved for your uh, young adult. Um, I know that uh, when we were speaking with Leah earlier, she was saying that they were written for, you know, 6 to 13-year-olds. But these, these are great, great books going into, you know, the teenage years that will keep readers engaged and get them interested in this topic. So if you guys are already listening to our podcast, go ahead and do your kids a favor, get them a book that they're really going to enjoy because these, these two books are fantastic. And again, we're going to put a link where you can get a hold of these in the description of the episode. So go find the link, click it, and then just like throw your money at your screen.
3: Well, well, don't throw it at it because she won't get it. But (laughs) yeah, same kind of thing. Um, What I noticed about these books is, did you do the artwork? I'm curious.
1: No, I wish I did the artwork, but I am not that talented. The artist, her name is Lisa K. Weber, and she does a lot of uh, illustrations for graphic novels. Um, And I was just very fortunate that my publisher chose her to do the cover art, which is just amazing.
3: The colors are fantastic.
0: They they really are.
3: me, Me being an artist. I worked a lot in black and white, you know, um, but the the color on these books and the covers are just fantastic, Uh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful.
1: Thank you, yes, I was so tickled and uh, when I saw the cover art and the interesting thing about being an author is that you create these characters in your head and you picture what they're like in your head And then when I saw the cover art, at first, I thought, who are the people on the cover? And then I went, oh, wait, those are my characters. That's what I created. It was just so incredible (laughs) to see an artist bring my vision to life.
3: I I love that the young boy on the first one is doing a selfie. (laughs) Yes. I'm sorry, but that is beautiful.
1: (laughs) And I will say that in the books, what was interesting to me was Uh, to have the kids not have cell phones, because I'm a big fan of like the Robert Ludlum spy novels from the 70s, where spies had to, you know, drop papers into trash cans, and then somebody else had to walk by and pick them up, uh, so that there wasn't this modern day technology to discover secrets and past communications. Mm -hmm. So in my books, I don't, the kids do not have access to cell phones, except for this one where they can just call one person and take a selfie because I wanted it to be, to have the feeling of more like a 1970s old school spy novel where they have to do things the old fashioned way. And so, because that was how I grew up. And so when I pictured being a kid going on an adventure nowhere was a cell phone in exactly. in my imagination
3: you had a polaroid camera
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely Absolutely. oh i remember
3: those days i got i got a yep. question for you um now i used to go to the elementary school and uh, read books and a lot of times i'd read them for the kids or to the kids i'd read them also and then um kind of tell the kids about these books that were different and uh, like I read a lot of Ian Kofer, Artemis Fowl stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that that is kind of the you know like the the elves and the fairies and the trolls and all of that, which is they're really good books. And I mean I read a ton, and I was like these they just captured my attention. So these books aren't necessarily for the kids, but it's a bonding unit for the parents and the kids to have together is the way I look at it.
1: Absolutely, and what I like to tell parents is, hey, putting the right book in the right hands can turn a kid into a lifelong reader. Because when kids are young, I believe that you wanna teach them that reading is joyful and reading is a fun activity. Because if you do, then they will be readers for life. Mm But if you force them to read a book that isn't interesting to them, then they're going to believe that reading is a chore Mm
0: -hmm. and it's not
1: going to be something fun that they do. And I was very fortunate that when I was a kid, my teachers just let me read whatever I wanted to read. And I just read all these fantasy books. And (laughs) in high school, you know, I had to do all the required reading like Animal Farm and Fahrenheit 451. I can't tell you anything that happened in those books, but I can tell you the plot of a ghost book that I read in second grade. And so (laughs) if your kids are interested in reading an adventure novel or a graphic novel, um, you know, let them read it. And like you were saying, Wayne, it's so much more fun as a parent to sit and co-read with your child a fun adventure novel than, yes. you know, perhaps a work that might be more literary. I don't know. But, um, you know, literature can be a little, you know, can be sloggy sometimes to get through. Um, but yeah, what, it, it's really a bonding experience for kids and parents to read some kind of fun book together, I think.
3: I have to get these for my grandbabies. Awesome. So you'll be getting an order from me real soon.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Oh, and um, I forgot to circle back to the third thing that I like to teach about, teach kids in my presentation about uh, cryptids is, you know, this idea that there there is so, there are so many things to still discover on On Earth. And I talk about some recent discoveries of creatures. Uh, For instance, there's something called the bird eating vampire frog, which was just discovered. And it actually is a frog with fangs that jumps up and grabs birds and eats them. That's cool. And so when, so while I'm doing the presentation, kids are like, wait, is that real? Or is that a legendary animal? And I'm like, no, this is real. This exists on earth. And then I'll tell them a story about maybe some cryptid that's really interesting. And they're like, wait, is that real? Or is that a cryptid? I'm like, no, that's a cryptid, but you can see how Things that are real on Earth can sometimes be even more fantastic than these legends that we have created. Oh, that's, well, it's,
3: yeah. It's yeah. good to keep them. It's good to keep these stories, because we've talked about it many times, me, Joe, and Ron, that you've got to keep these stories of, you know, Bigfoot and Loch Ness and all that going to the younger generations, because if you don't, they die off.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and so much, you know, of legends and folk tales, you know, folk tales are the tales of the folk and it's it's tales that are passed down from generation to generation and they become part of our, our culture, but they are only passed down if we actually speak about them and share them. Mm-hmm. And the fun thing about some of these legends is that if they are real, If Bigfoot is real, if the Loch Ness Monster is real, it is possible that these legendary stories eventually cross over into science. And I do tell kids that we have discovered cryptids. Cryptids aren't just extinct animals that are rediscovered or animals that we haven't discovered. They are also brand new animals that went from legend into science such as the Okapi uh, is kind of considered the very first cryptid that was discovered. It's the forest giraffe discovered in 1901 in Africa. And, you know, talk about interesting things. It has a foot long tongue that it can dart out and clean its ears with. And then one of my favorite legendary animals that was discovered is the platypus. When scientists first saw the platypus, they thought that it was a hoax. They thought that someone had sewn different parts of animals together because the platypus has a duck bill, a beaver tail, and an otter foot. Um, But then they finally realized, oh, this is a real creature. Not only that, but the platypus platypus is venomous Mm -hmm. in its hind um, uh, claws. It sweats milk, and if you shine a blue light over it, it glows in the dark. So if you were to explain that to someone, would they say, that's legend or that's real?
2: I don't know, I but it makes know. me want a platypus. platypus. <laughs> right. That's awesome. They're UV reactive. I didn't know this. Absolutely. See, I've learned something. That is awesome for real, though.
1: Yeah, And so that's a lot why, like Lauren Coleman of the International Cryptozoology Museum, he taught me that cryptozoology can act as a gateway science for kids. And it gets kids interested in going out into nature and searching for these legendary animals. Uh, And it is possible that they might prove the existence of one of them someday because it has been done.
0: Yeah, the, the work of cryptozoology is more than just looking for a Bigfoot and Loch Ness monster. And I believe that the, one of the reasons that it has such a um, hard go with the general public is because everybody always associates just these monsters or legends with cryptozoology. They're not actually looking at the real boots on the ground cryptozoology that is being conducted all over the globe to find extinct species or to you know put together these legends from these remote tribes that they're saying there's an animal out here that looks like this and they go out to try to find said animal and then they'll wind up discovering it uh, one of the one of the creatures another one that was similar to that was the earless water monitor Ooh. Uh, it was it was found down in um, in Central America, and it was a creature that they they basically was like a water demon to the native tribe people. But when they went out they found this thing and it actually does look like a dragon. You know it's scaly like a dragon. It just doesn't have the wings. It doesn't look like a traditional monitor would. but uh, but the earless monitor is actually one, another one of those cryptozoology creatures that was found to exist in the real world and you know it's, it's one of these animals that weighs around five and six pounds. So it breaks those rules of where, uh, you you know, in cryptozoology and and in zoology in general, they have this theory that basically all the animals and such that are being discovered are smaller than the human hand. Mm. So not very many of the newly discovered animals are larger than the human hand. So they, they assume that going forward, all new species will fit that model. Well, this monitor was one of those that definitely broke the model.
2: Well, that's a human way of thinking.
0: Yeah, exactly. No,
2: for real. I mean, I mean that. That's a human way of thinking. The human in general way of thinking is that, well, we know everything and, you know, anything beyond this is, it's purely legend, right? But what, what you're saying is, and I love it because what kid doesn't you know uh want to go out and and hunt monsters or you know play but the thing is you're showing them that they're not monsters you're defining what these these legends are and hey that could be actually real that could be something that we could actually find you know and you're creating a whole you know just a whole set of I wouldn't say a belief there but you're instilling uh, almost an mm. empowerment to to go out and, and look uh, for something beyond what everyone says you know is absolute truth and and fact, because you know the the truth is the paranormal is the paranormal until someone makes it normal, as we always say, so you know i I like that I like the idea you're doing that
1: absolutely, and you know even if we get away from science uh teaching kids about these legendary animals also just gets their imagination mm-hmm. going and Imagination is, of course, such an amazing thing when kids are so glued to screens nowadays, the ability for a child to sit and daydream, I think is kind of becoming a lost art. So I then also like to get away from the science sometimes and talk about more of the goblin universe (laughs) with kids, which are the fairies, the gnomes, the trolls, because... Of course, cryptozoology, from a purely scientific background, it is really about zoology, where we are trying to mm-hmm. prove the existence of animals that due to the fossil record, there there is an absolute possibility from what we know that they could exist. However, I do also like diving into, as you say, the paranormal mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit, because who knows if there is magic out there that we have yet to discover. So maybe there are things that we really don't know about that are in existence. And I use the evidence of the black hole for that, Mm -hmm. where the black hole in space inside the event horizon, scientists have no idea what happens to the fabric of space and time. Time could slow up, time could speed down, It could be a wormhole to somewhere else. We have no idea. And so it is fun to kind of think about, you know, taking it to the next step of not only can you discover things that we haven't discovered, but you could discover an entirely new, fun, magical thing. Universe. Yes.
0: (laughs) One of my favorite things is that to tell people, uh, especially when you start getting into some of the more weird and bizarre is that. Magic is only magic until you understand it. Yeah. Once you understand it, it's science.
1: Yes.
2: Well, one species science is another's magic, right? I mean, that's what you're,
0: you're kind of getting Yeah. At. Yeah. So, you know, if we took, uh, we took an iPhone back into, you know, the medieval days and said, hey, check this out, they uh, would lose their mind. Yeah. yeah. You are a wizard. <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely. Like right now, we're all talking And if somebody were to scientifically explain to me how it is that I can hear your voices from hundreds of miles away, I still would not be able to get it. I still just say, it's magic. It's magic how I can hear your voice right now.
2: Yes. And so imagine a world where, you know, something happens and all you have are a few people who remember this and them telling that story. You see, I think that a lot of our legends are exactly that. I think that they are, there's some truth there. In every one of those those things, there's a form of truth. I don't think that everyone just makes up everything, you know. And I think that that is the magic part of it. That's the magical part of, uh, I guess, of, of getting to uh, to some of these answers that, you know, we call the paranormal, like I said. But, you know, and to get kids interested in that this is to me that's a great thing i mean it really is it's it's kind of like what we always wanted to do anyway it's kind of like passing the torch right so it's the storyteller
1: yeah. right yeah right yeah and back in ancient times yeah. when they would talk about going to the stars or mm-hmm. a dream about going up and touching the stars yeah. the fact that we can do it now is magic would have seemed like magic back then. There was no way we could get into space unless by some form of magic. Well, we found a way to make that magic. And like you say, we call it science. Yeah. And Ancient
0: astronaut theorists agree. I do, I do. <laughs> yes. Actually, yes. So
3: so to summarize this, it sounds like young Mr. Clive O'Ren is going to have a lot more uh, adventures coming up.
1: I'm hoping so you know the way publishing works is money talks and so right now it's two books and everybody's kind of waiting to see how they do so if your listeners buy like 30 copies each then I'm sure I'll be able to write just like 30. Okay, maybe 28. 28 books each for every listener. And then I'm sure I'd get a third book out of this deal here.
2: <laughs> well, we definitely need to
0: see what we can do for you there. We need to put uh, a link to those books on
2: you, the actual you website.
1: It. You heard it,
0: folks.
2: It's it's like choose your own adventure, okay? That's that's it, right? Like pay <laughs> up or we're gonna kill this character up. No, I'm kidding. That's terrible, but you know. <laughs>
3: Maybe right, I so, should so do Leah,
1: that. Leah, <laughs> yes. did you
2: did you
3: ever remember reading those Choose Your Own Adventure books?
1: Oh, absolutely! Didn't we Aren't all grow Those up the best. Those? Yes, they were fantastic. And again, like I grew up on books like that, and I read Choose Your Own Adventure, and it turned me into a lifelong reader.
2: So all those things that you're doing now, you see, uh, it doesn't matter if if it's a hundred or a thousand that you reach. It, you only have to reach one that's going to go out and actually possibly change the world. Right. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it. And that there's your magic right there.
1: Right. I mean, I would love if, you know, in 30 years, somebody, you know, who finds the cure for cancer is being interviewed and they're like, well, I remember this woman came to my school and told Talked about looking for Mm -hmm. Bigfoot and talked about how there are so many things we don't know and how anything is possible, and it made me want to become a scientist to find things and discover things we haven't discovered yet. And I discovered the cure for cancer. Like that would just be the most amazing thing. So
2: I think you're right. And the greatest thing is is to break those molds and let people be individuals. You know, that's that's the whole thing. We see so many who uh, you have to be this, you have to do this, you have to think this. That's that's not how we discover new
0: things.
1: No, Absolutely, that's how we repeat getting, the
2: same you know mistakes. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe.
0: Getting right. the imagination rolling, young, and getting getting kids inspired to get out there and explore and do things and and look for the unseen and and look for new answers to old problems. Uh, that's that's really where we need to be focused, and you know I, I, that's why I, I'm. Whenever we saw these books, I reached out to you, talked to my wife and said, hey, you know, we need to try to get some of these to get into your classroom library. And then we've got the copies and they're phenomenal books. And, you know, she already stuck one set into the library and before school was over, she had one checked out and, you know, school, it was really short before school let out. They didn't get to finish it quite yet, but they're going to come back next year and pick up the rest of the book and, and go and, and read it. But they loved it, what they had read so far. And just getting that imagination engaged and getting kids excited about being off their phone is huge. So the fact that you've been able to accomplish that with these two books is a massive success in my book.
1: Exactly.
3: Absolutely. I agree. Yeah.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah. Just getting kids to uh, use their sense of imagination, sense of play, sense of adventure, And hopefully get them out into the wilderness a little bit to try to observe, gather data, see what's out there and just have some outdoorsy fun is really what it's all about.
3: Well, it looks like I'm going to have to buy a couple sets for the
1: local.
0: 28, 28,
1: 28. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, it might not all
3: be at once, but I'll get to there.
0: Okay. (laughs) So, Leah, what? Is your favorite
1: cryptid? Yes, oh. I would say one of my favorite cryptids, just because I love his name, is the Ugly Merman of Russia. And the someone you Merman, know, Wayne.
2: That's someone you know, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, he's he's family. Basically, that one was Wayne.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Wayne fell in <laughs> somewhere. Christ, in a...
3: Guys, what is this hammer on Wayne Day?
0: <laughs> Couldn't help it. Sorry. So tell tell us a little bit about no, the Ugly this. Merman. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah, so the Ugly Merman is a very cranky cryptid. He is a frog-faced cryptid that kind of looks like Jabba the Hut, and he sits on the dam smoking a pipe. And oh, if the villagers it is, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And if the villagers don't bring him treats every day, he will break the dam and flood the village.
3: But oh, does yeah, he sign like autographs? He but does he sign autographs?
1: Uh, yes, he will. <laughs> well, if he, is, he does. He He's family. <laughs> he is family. Too. <laughs> um. And and one thing I would like to say is that a lot of people ask me, "Have you seen Bigfoot?" And I haven't seen Bigfoot, but I have seen. I like to call it a cryptid because I didn't know what it was that I saw. And working at the Sasquatch Outpost, so many people come in and they talk to me and they say, I don't know what I saw, but here it is. And they basically describe Bigfoot. Hmm. And I saw something in the wilderness where I was finishing up a hike in Colorado and I was driving away from the trailhead and I looked up the side of a mountain. And I saw something running faster than I've ever seen anything run. And it looked like it had the giant body of a wolf, but then really long, thin legs. And it looked like it should have been walking on two legs, but had hunched over and was running on all four. Oh, wow. And I've shared this story with a lot of different people and somebody finally sent me a photo of some wolf from South America that looks exactly like this. And they said, is this oh, the, what you big, saw? Um,
0: that red wolf.
1: Yes. Is I wish
0: the I, photo you're talking about?
1: I wish I could remember the name of it, but it is an actual animal, but it doesn't exist in North America. So, right. uh, oh. you know, there's this whole species of cryptids called alien big cats, Mm -hmm. where it's, Mm -hmm. you know, cats that do exist uh, in other parts of the world, but people are seeing them in North America, like the, um, you know, the Black Panthers that are mainly seen where you are, uh, as well as the American lions, where people are seeing Black Panthers, lions in North America, even though they shouldn't be here. And I saw something that living in Colorado 35 years, I've never seen, and I can't explain what it was.
3: Well, he was probably running so fast because he was headed to the Boulder bookstore to pick up copies of your book.
1: 28 of that, them, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what that was. <laughs> so I, I think uh, what you were talking about was the, the maned wolf um, that they showed you a picture of. It's just got, like, incredibly crazy long legs.
1: Yes. Yes, that's what it yeah. is. Well, guys, that
0: would be the maned wolf. You know, um, as soon as you described uh, that somebody brought in a picture of a wolf and showed it to you, that that's the first thing that came to mind was a maned wolf. What you're uh, saying,
2: Joe, that's, that's a known thing, right? I mean, it's just from another yeah. part of the world, <laughs> but there's so many legends that, that there are, like she said, these things that are being seen that are out of place, out of time. And, you know, I mean, go back to some of the old legends and they're there. Uh, the veil is thin kind of talk, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows, you know, we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know if that's a, a shape shifting something or another out there, you know, who knows what you saw. And, and that literally mean that. Yeah. It's, it's we've hard all to seen, say, especially we've seen stuff. Okay. Uh, but we will never tell you exactly what it is because honestly, we don't know. We just know it wasn't right. normal, you know, it wasn't conventional. So yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Awesome.
3: Did, did, did that help? Did that help? Like, here's what usually happens. And I've always said it's one of two things. When you see something, it either scares the bejesus out of you and you want nothing else to do with, you know, mm-hmm. knowing about it or what. But more than not, it usually spurs your interest to dig in deeper on things and start looking, you know, and researching deeper uh into what it could be or things that you didn't even know existed? Is that kind of what what happens to you too when you see things or hear things like that?
1: Yeah, definitely. And more so when I hear stories from people who tell me things unprompted, who, who <laughs> don't realize that I have an interest in this. Mm-hmm. Like after I spoke at the Texas Bigfoot Conference a year ago, I was taking a boat ride down the bayou and there were a lot of people on the boat. And one family was like, oh, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I just spoke at the Bigfoot conference. And they started laughing and they pointed to a guy in their party and they said, he's seen Bigfoot. And I asked him, I said, what did you see? So again, they had no idea that I was going to be there. They weren't coming ready for this story. But the guy blushed and he said, I live on a farm in Texas. And I looked out my front door one day and there was something bigger than a man, running faster than a man across my field. And it hurtled a six foot tall fence and its foot hit part of the fence, knocked it over and kept running. And again, it's that thing where he says, I don't know what I saw, Mm -hmm. but it it wasn't anything that I could explain. And it's those stories that I hear the most frequently. Where the answer is, I don't know what I saw, mm-hmm. but I yeah. saw something that was unexplainable. And those are the genuine and, ones. And those are the genuine ones. Yeah. yeah. And Ron, you, you and I were talking before we started recording about you know the UFOs mm-hmm. videos that the government has sent out, and they pretty much said the same thing. They're like, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what this is. Yeah. We don't know what we're seeing. We and can't define so, it,
2: so that, that's 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 exactly what it is. I mean, the safe answer is we don't know, and we get that a lot. People are like, well, well, you. They come to us, they want answers. Well, our answer a lot of times is, well, you saw something, you know. And I think that they think that you know, being a researcher, you're going to give them this this holy grail. This is the answer to everything. It doesn't work that way. All that we can do I... is gather the data. And look at the data, all of it, you know, and then come up with some theories and some ideas, and yeah. let them make up their mind as to what they saw, but yeah, yeah,
0: what we'll do for them is we'll gather the data, compile it, and say, "Okay, mm-hmm. look, what you saw fits into this best you you be the judge of what you think you saw based off this and and we can go from there um, y- you know, Ron Wayne, and myself, we've all had uh class A. Sightings of something, it's something, um, you know, we, we can't put a, a finger on it, even though, you know, for my sighting it happened during broad daylight. What I saw is like what people call a Bigfoot, but we don't have a Bigfoot laying on a slab somewhere that's been dissected and proven to science that I can say definitively, yes, that was a Sasquatch, but what I saw fits the bill. And what Ron saw fits the bill, and what Wayne experienced fits the bill, but we don't know for sure, right? So it's it's one of those, you know, because that's one of the things that actually kind of sets us apart, I think, with a lot of research groups, um, and with what we do is we we don't try to tell people what it was they had an experience with. We we just give them the data and say you you draw your own conclusion, but based off these data sets, I'm kind of leaning this way.
1: Right. And like one of my teachers taught me in high school, he said, I don't know is a very good answer. Agreed. Because it means that it's opening a door to discover something.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And so saying, I don't know, means that there is something to be discovered that we don't know.
2: yet no that that's a, that's a fact and your you know your work is actually helping to answer that i don't know you know in the future so i think that that's really uh that's really a powerful thing i, I don't think that a lot of people think about things like that or see far that that far ahead but that's always something that we kind of look at because you know you do have to be kind of careful with how you uh, approach the subject There are certain people who approach the subject with an absolute, you know, uh, ironclad, I'm going to prove this or disprove that. And then there are the people like us who approach it with a very open mind. And uh, like Joe said, here's the possibility of what it could be. Uh, That's up for you to decide. You know, we're not going to hold your head underwater and make you confess that it's this or that, you know. Uh, this This is your sighting. And honestly,
0: a lot of these things are very personal. Uh, I think that that's one of the yeah, other things. There's so many encounters that just never get reported because yeah. of that fact yeah. it is because they're personal or they're, they're very shy about what happened. Yeah. They don't want to face the ridicule that could come yeah. just like the gentleman that had that, uh, sighting that he told you about, you said he blushed that, you know, that means that he was somewhat mm-hmm. embarrassed about what he was getting ready to tell you.
1: Mm. Right. Because he, they're like, he's going to tell you his story of finding Bigfoot And he was like, I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I saw Bigfoot. And I'll get a lot of those people at the Sasquatch Outpost. I had a gentleman come in who had just returned from Russia, and he was kind of sheepishly looking around the museum, and he comes up to me, and he's like, I just got back from Russia, and I saw something. And I said, well, what did you see? And he pointed to a poster of Bigfoot, and he goes, I saw that. And I said, "Oh, so you saw Bigfoot and he goes, "No, I did not see Bigfoot. I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I saw that, and I don't know what it is and he was gen- and those are the people who I believe because you know, he was genuinely you know disturbed by what yeah. he saw because he couldn't explain it.
0: yeah, it's outside the paradigm big yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and you know one of the one of my favorite things with Bigfoot is the people tie in belief. Um, And I always like to rain on their parade and be like, you know, Bigfoot doesn't require you to believe in him. Belief requires faith. Bigfoot is a possible creature roaming around in the woods. He's not going to ask you to get into a Adidas jumpsuit and drink Kool-Aid one day. So you don't have to believe in Bigfoot for there to be a. Oh, Bigfoot. I see what you did there. Right. like the cult. You like episode. that, Ron? Yeah, I said it. That was funny. <laughs> that, that was a throwback to that our was, cult episode. Yeah,
2: ah. um, that's right. That was funny. But, yeah.
0: uh, but you know, there, there's that whole belief systems uh, are, are another big problem, and, and this is this is an issue with cryptozoology is belief systems. Um, you, the science doesn't care if you believe or not. And a lot of people, they say, well, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. What did you see? Well, I haven't seen anything. So you're, you're essentially creating your own Bigfoot religion. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: um, and uh, so, you know, that guy who had that experience in Russia, he doesn't have to believe in Bigfoot because that requires faith. Belief requires faith. What he saw was a physical thing out there that is just there, whether he believes in it or not. Right. Um, and that's kind of how it is with all of our sightings, whether we believe that sighting or not, it happened. And, uh, and same with your sighting with that creature you saw running up the side of the mountain. It doesn't care if you believe it was there or not. <laughs> right. It was there. You saw it and belief has nothing to do with it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's one of the things that we, that I, I always, uh, from, a educating perspective i always try to bring people in and be like hey look you're you're not a believer in bigfoot um you can believe be a believer in christ you can be a believer in other things but you're not a believer in bigfoot you you're a knower or someone looking to understand (laughs) those those are the two places that you can technically be or or a skeptic That's the third you're a witness a skeptic Um, or you know the the other i mean that's pretty much yeah there's three things right
2: I just don't yeah. completely care at all. Uh, I'm a skeptic, or I'm an absolute hardcore witness. I've seen something. I don't know what it is.
1: Right. Yeah. And so, I was, what brought
0: you into to work at the Bigfoot or Sasquatch Outpost?
1: Well, um, you know, I all of a sudden I found, you know, being an author so much of what I was doing to promote my books. Uh, was this cryptozoology for kids that I was doing at schools, at libraries, and then I thought, well, I should present at Bigfoot conferences where, you know, where this would be really of interest, and then at the time, I started doing my book signings at the Sasquatch Outpost, and uh, Jim and Daphne, who are the wonderful owners, I heard them talking one day about how they needed kind of a part-time worker uh there but that they it was hard to find someone who believed in Bigfoot (laughs) to work at the Sasquatch Outpost (laughs) because so much of the joy of coming there is that people want to talk to you about who is Bigfoot what's the legend what's the history and if you have someone standing there going oh who knows it's just a bunch of hooey it kind of takes the magic away and so I talked to Jim and Daphne, and I said, you know, so much of my outreach to kids is talking about Bigfoot, and I do speak at Bigfoot festivals, and working at a Bigfoot museum would kind of help my Bigfoot cred, and I am writing more books on cryptids, so that was how I got started working there. It just all kind of came together in a perfect storm. Of, um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm so, really fortunate because I get to do research just by standing there and listening to people's stories.
0: So this is, this is something that the guys don't know just yet, but we're going to spill the beans to them. It shocked me when I found out that you worked at the Sasquatch Outpost and you didn't have any Bigfoot casts. What? But now you, had, now you have a Bigfoot cast in your possession. And where, where was that from?
1: The Bigfoot cast in the museum?
0: The one that you have at your house.
1: Oh, the one that you sent to me. Yes, I have my <laughs> very own That's Bigfoot funny. cast. I'm so excited. I'm looking at it right now. Now, remind me where it was from, where you got that cast from.
0: That was from Kanawha State Forest. Yeah, I, say, I'll send you the full write-up for
1: Okay, um, please
0: it, it was do. A whole, it was a whole thing, and then the Finding Bigfoot crew came yeah. out and did a special on that area and everything, so it was fun.
1: Yes, no, thank you so much. I'm so tickled that that I now have my very own Bigfoot cast. I feel very legit now.
0: Yeah, that that's about as uh, Appalachian as it gets for hey, a Bigfoot cast. That's the you only one it, I've it's, got, too. You can tell it's a foot, but it's so, just real leafy. You know, yeah. That, that's the only one I've got, too. Don't feel
2: bad. <laughs> we we haven't made the one I want yet. So.
0: Yeah, we've we've got a lot of other casts. We'll get you some copies of those too as those get made. I'll send off flips much your way. That way you can add them to your growing collection. Um, yes, we only yeah, send, send out some, casts. I'll send
3: you some artwork and you can throw darts at it. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Wayne.
2: We we only yeah. you know there we, we only uh, send out the ones that we've had uh, actually looked at um, by yeah. uh, by others uh, in the in the field for peer review as
0: well. We, so. We yeah. send stuff out to Cliff and Meldrum, and and uh, they they'll look at them, peer review them, and Tom Shea. They'll take a look. All those guys take a look at them, and we'll we'll make sure that you know, uh, being a a trained master naturalist and all that stuff. It, normally, when we find a print, it's not like uh, I, we pretty well know what what it's gonna be if it's something. Once we pull it out of the ground, we'll know if this is a bear or if some kind of other track and then the ones that are genuinely anomalous, we'll send those off to have them uh, taken a look at and we'll send pictures and then copies and whatnot later on. Um, and, uh, and they all have been verified by esteemed members of the community as authentic.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Whatever that's that wonderful. means.
0: Yeah. I mean, we don't know what they are. We just know what they aren't. <laughs>
2: Again. All yeah. we All right. know is that at
0: least one guy is an anthropologist with like a very yeah. good understanding of foot morphology and mechanics. That's that's the one thing we have going for that's us. A <laughs> <beat>. <laughs> you know.
1: Oh, yeah. And I wanted to talk about one more thing with Bigfoot. Sure. And, you know, I've talked a lot about legends and folklore and folk tales, And I was speaking to a professor of folklore a few months ago who does believe in Bigfoot. And I asked him, I said, what it, how, how, how do you know when a story begins from something true versus a story and a legend that just begins from our imagination? In oh, I can't other words, yeah. So this was fascinating. So there are certain things like the fearsome critters, which are a whole category of legendary animals that were created by lumberjacks in the late. Um, 19th century and they were just stories that they would create over the campfire because they were in the wilderness for weeks months on end so it was a way that they entertained themselves and so there's this whole group of fearsome critters as they're called um, which could be considered cryptids but really they most likely just stemmed from the imagination but uh, this professor of folklore his answer to my question was He said, you have to look for some kind of historical origin, meaning if you look at Bigfoot, Bigfoot's legend goes back over a thousand years in North America. It is seen in the lore of the Catwin Nation in Oklahoma going back a thousand years. There are pictographs of Bigfoot in caves in California going back as far. So Bigfoot has been seen by different people in different time periods, in different geographies, and the story is still the same, which means it can't just be coincidence. That is considered a historical origin. And so I found that really fascinating about how you can somewhat trace legends back to how they initially began and see if you can you know tease out a grain of truth based upon how it began, and I thought that that was just an amazing way to look at and and he said he said so someday maybe the folk tale of Bigfoot will cross over into science because hmm. it has this historical origin
0: he's hundred percent right as far as i 'm concerned that's that's a, you know the way he described that is the way that you know, a lot of uh, the Bigfoot historians, I guess you would call them, would also argue that point, that very same point, that so many tribes across the entire North American continent and even South American continent have these stories that are so similar. Yeah, that I, mean, I mean, they maybe. couldn't have just been like a collective consciousness. I mean, come on, you now,
2: know, I mean, look at the possibility of the, you know, the mask, the, the, the gorget. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, that little
0: gorgon we found. Yeah, you're you know, right.
2: That whole story, right there, it it points to the possibility, doesn't it? And it if does. that's the case, then yeah, I mean, there's your there's your historical thing, Wayne. Here's one for you, the Pod Piper. It's the same thing. There was a grain of truth there. You see, mm-hmm. yeah, the historical yep. record was there. You know how much has been changed? We don't know, but it's the same thing. Anytime you have something like that, it is that you know, little essence of truth, that little essence of fact that's buried in there that makes you have to say, well, if that part's true, then what about this part? You know, and you can't just Mm -hmm. turn your back on it then, in my opinion.
1: Right. And then you look at the gentleman from Russia who Mm -hmm. said he saw something. And the gentleman I spoke to in Texas who described the exact same thing. It's like, these are historical origins where different people in different geographies are witnessing the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They're there. There's something there. I mean, I ain't going to say what it is. You know, I'm not going to say, Oh,
1: that's a bigfoot.
2: I'm going to say that there's something there and there might be multiple somethings as I think there is, but uh, I don't know. You know, it's just, there's a lot of evidence and like we always say, it all goes on the table and uh, you know, just let everybody else make their mind up after that. But You know, I like the fact that you're, you're letting, you're getting this started from an early age, Mm -hmm. getting them to do that critical thinking and being able to, you know, get excited about that. I mean, just
3: opening their mind. Yes. That's all you have to do.
2: Yes. As Lauren. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. As Lauren Coleman says, cryptids are the modern day dinosaurs because (laughs) when I was a kid, everybody wanted to be grow up to be an archaeologist because we were discovering so many dinosaur bones. So every child wanted to be an archaeologist to find the next dinosaur bone. Well, now hopefully cryptids will get kids wanting to grow up to be the next marine biologist or zoologist or in, in order to prove the existence of these unknown animals.
2: Truth. Absolute truth. We grew up the same way. Went playing with dinosaurs and wanting to, you know be able to one day do something with dinosaurs, and boy, it's funny how these things work out. It is we
0: started with dinosaurs now we hunt monsters <laughs> well, we worked on dinosaurs, yeah, you know I it mean did. it worked yeah, um you know it's uh you're doing a fantastic work with these books and what you're doing with getting people's minds engaged and imaginations lit on fire so you know big huge shout out to you for that um we are coming up on our time barrier here and uh don't want to cut this one short on us so is there anything that you want to give anybody an update about or something they can look up or find you a place they can find you coming up in the future
1: uh let's see i will next be at the texas bigfoot conference in october i'll be speaking there about my cryptozoology for kids so if you happen to be in jefferson texas uh come to the conference and that's where i'll be And then if you happen to buy my books and give them to a little Bigfooter to read, uh, you can always find me on my website, which is just my name, leahfisher.com. And my first name is spelled L-I-J-A. And feel free to reach out to me on my website. I'm always happy to send a letter of thanks to my young readers. And I will also send them a Bigfoot Believes in You sticker as a thank you for reading. Damn, it leaves me out.
3: She said young.
1: <laughs> or young at heart. <laughs> oh, okay, then I'm
0: in. I'm in. <laughs> All right. Now, Leah, is that also the best place to purchase your book?
1: I, would, I always encourage people to purchase books from their local bookstore to support local business. Um, and most local bookstores should have my book. If not, they can order it. Um, of course, there's always Amazon. Um, but I like to encourage people to, to shop local and support your local small business but it also is on amazon
0: that's awesome let me tell you as a small business we definitely appreciate you sending people to small businesses uh, without yep. folks doing that we wouldn't be able to survive absolutely and if a so, small
2: business or the small library is or whatever isn't carrying the book
0: make them you know the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, power is tell yours them, so. tell them about the book tell, tell them, them, them you want them. it <clears> and uh, tell them they need to carry it yeah.
1: Yes. You can always go to the local library and every local library, you should be able to request any book that you want. And if you request my book, they will buy it and put it on the shelves. And so you can absolutely do that at no, no cost to you. If you want to read my books um, for free from your local library.
2: Well, shoot, Joe. I mean, we could do that. You know, if the library doesn't have it, oh, yeah. you should find out. If yeah, not, we we'll could, grab we one go around and, Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we could do that. Here you go. Here's and a donation. We, 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 Thank but
3: we, you. Can, can we also go to the Sasquatch Outpost and, and get, the, get the books from there?
1: Absolutely. You can order them online from the Sasquatch Outpost, and they are signed copies. So if you want a signed copy, you can order them online from the Sasquatch Outpost. There you go, And Wayne. if you order
3: them through me, I will get them, and then I will sign See, them.
2: There you for go. <laughs>
0: Wayne will draw a stick figure in it and sign it. and Yeah. So, <laughs> Sorry, Leah. Stick I foot. signed everything.
1: Oh, that's fine.
0: Well, <laughs> Leah, babies. hang in there with us for just a second. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. So, folks, I hope you've really enjoyed the conversation we've had tonight with Leah Fisher. If you want to check out these books, go to com or... Better yet, go get them from your local library or your local bookstore. If they don't have them, request them. They'll make it happen for you. If you want to catch up on previous episodes of Wild and Weird Radio, you can find us over at wildandweirdwv.com. Just click on the podcast tab, and it's going to open up an entire backlog of episodes, and you can listen to your heart's content. Or you can listen to all of them five or six times. Either way, it helps us out. If you want to help support Wild and Weird Radio and keep it free for eons to come, head on over to wildandweirdwv.com. Click on the Shop tab. It's going to open up all the shops that we have for offer. Go grab something. Help support the show. You guys have done fantastic in keeping the show free for everybody since we have started. So thank you for the support. You guys are absolutely awesome. If you have had a sighting, Go to wildandweirdwv.com. Click on the Contact Us tab. You can fill out our standardized sighting report right there and send it in. If you are close enough and it is a recent enough sighting, we will come and investigate with your permission. So, until next time, stay wild and weird, everybody.
3: Folks, remember, you just have to buy 28 of these books. Okay, that's 14 cents to uh, make her a superstar so she'll write a third book that's all you have to do you can send me the money i'll take care of it um whatever you need to do i'll get her the money i will also sign something for you whether it be you or the book whatever
0: make it happen people